God bless you. Take your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 in the Word of God. It's great to be back at Platte Valley. So thankful. I'm so thankful for the privilege the Lord's given me to be here. And I'm excited about what the Lord is doing in this place and excited about what the Lord's doing. All the children are dismissed. That's good. I love to see kids excited about church. I love to see kids in church in the first place. I've preached in hundreds of places all across this country. I've preached about 850 revival meetings now over the last 27 years. And I can tell you some places don't have kids. And that's always a very concerning sign. And uh, there are reasons for that and causes for that. But it's great to see kids in church and not just kids, but teenagers and young adults and, and some unmarried young adults and some newly married uh, young adults and some middle-aged folks and some older folks. It's a good it's a good mix. That's a blessing. You know, the Bible speaks of that. In 1 John, it speaks to the young men, it speaks to the children, and it speaks to the old men. And so all of those are included, all the ages are included. That's a healthy, healthy church and a healthy body. Praise the Lord for that. And uh, so great to see kids in church, and it's always great to see kids excited about church. And excited about giving. What a neat thing to see these these kids coming and giving the offering. I, you know, I don't think that's a bad thing to have the adults do that next week, Brother Wes. I think that's a good thing. I was preaching in Maryland this last year, and uh, that's the way they took up the offering. Every service, they had plates at the front, the adults came and they gave. And so that's good. You can kind of see whether someone's enthused about this or not. And uh, so praise the Lord for it. Uh, we've been doing great. We've had a great spring. We've been traveling all across, uh, mainly out in uh, the the west, out in California, and then out in Virginia, and Michigan, and Indiana, and Tennessee, all points in between. And uh, we've seen God work in amazing ways and see people saved almost every week. And uh, so that's a great blessing and a great encouragement. I know many of you pray for us on a regular basis, and we appreciate that more than you know. And and that, that is proof to your account. Those people saved on a regular basis. We just thank you for it. I'm so glad to have my family here, and I'm glad to have Drew Hay here. Drew is my family. Drew and I married sisters, and so uh, we're brother-in-laws and fellow evangelists, and so that's exciting. And uh, he's just launched out into evangelism this last year, and, and uh, God's using him. You pray for him. He's just getting a, a different truck and trailer. He had a little 30-foot something or other and uh, took it two times out to California. I was impressed with that, especially since he was a Ford pulling it. And uh, then, uh, but boy, I'm really glad, really glad he's getting a different truck and trailer now. And so they're kind of in the throes of that. So you pray for him, pray that God will use that and provide and meet his needs and and that the Lord will use him in the days ahead. It's not as easy to get started in evangelism as it was when I started 27 years ago. And so pray. We need more evangelists and we need more missionaries and pastors. But now you know a young evangelist and an old evangelist. I'll, I'll step into that category. But pray that God would use them in a mighty way. And pray for us as we preach at camp this next uh, this next week. When, when we get done, we're going to fly back to Minnesota where Amber and Audra are. And uh, then we're going to get the family and head up to Canada, we're going 11 hours north of Minnesota. So we're going into Thompson, Manitoba, so pray that everything will hold together and that God will use us. This is going to be a tent meeting, one of our Victory Gospel Crusades, and it's the first time we've taken it outside the United States. So we're very excited about that, but we need God's people to pray. Thompson is the fifth most dangerous city in all of Canada, and uh, so we're going to go. There's a reservation we're going to be on. There's a lot of different cultures that are there, and we're excited about what the Lord's doing because during that time, there's what's called the Nickel Festival. There's a nickel mine close by, and then there is uh, going to be an indigenous day, and so there's going to be a lot of different people coming from all over the, the country of Canada to be there, and we're really praying that God will use us, and I really would covet your prayers as we do this as well. I've been noticing this morning that uh, some of you maybe only had one cup of coffee and some of you are looking a little lethargic this morning, so I thought it'd be good if we just start out with a game, and uh, and to just make it easy, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna start this game. It's gonna be men against ladies, 
I don't know if there's any men or ladies here that have a competitive streak, but but my my family, we have some competitive streaks. So men against ladies right now, men against ladies. We're going to play Who Am I? Anybody here familiar with the game Who Am I? All right, well, I'm just going to give you random facts as I give uh, this game and as I list it about certain people in history and certain people in different categories. And we'll see who is we'll see who is more alert this morning, the men or the ladies as we play the game Who Am I? So, we'll start with art. We'll start with the category of art because it looks like there's plenty of people that are artists out here. And so, uh we're going to start with art. All right? Here we go. You just shout it out and whoever gets it, ladies or men, let's see Tyler, can you keep score? All right, Tyler's going to keep score. So, whoever shouts shouts it out the first is the one that gets it. Tyler's keeping score, all right? Here we go. And so, Tyler, you can't shout it out. All right, here we go. Uh, this is art. Uh, he, he was born March 6, 1475. Michelangelo. Okay, one for the guys. Wow. I was really not thinking it would be that. that that's amazing. You know, I always knew your pastor was just very brilliant. That is amazing. Now, okay, so one for the men. The men are winning. Wow, I had a whole bunch more facts. He was born in Florence, Italy. Art, his art was in the high Renaissance mannerism uh, period and, and form. Famous for the Pieta, the Sistine Chapel, Moses. That's, that's amazing. That's amazing. All right, ladies, I'm sorry. All right, we're moving on to sports now. Moving on to sports. He was born February 17th, 1963, graduated from Emsley A. Laney High. He was the third overall pick in round one of the draft. He played from 84 to 93. His number was 23. Michael, oh, okay, all right. I, we know where the competitive streak comes. It comes right here on the front row. Okay, this goes Teresa. Men have one, ladies have one. All right, here we go, good. Let's move on to history. History now. He was born in Tampico, Illinois on February 6, 1911. He was a broadcaster and an actor. He was a governor of California. And it, I, don't, I don't know. Who was it? It was over here somewhere. Okay, over here. I don't know if that counted. Okay, all right, it'll count. All right. It, men have two. Ladies have one. Men have two. Ladies have one. We're getting a lot of real good answers right away from up here in the front. So if there's anybody else here that has uh, can, can contribute, that would be great. All right, we're going to move now to the Bible. We're going to move now to the Bible. He was born in Ur of the Chaldees. He was the son of Haran. He was a nephew to Abraham. No, no, you can only answer once. There was a lady right over here. That's right. Okay. That, and two ladies in the back. All right. It's two to two. That's right. It's live. Now, let's settle in for a little bit this morning, and let's examine three individuals in the Bible. Our categories are moving to the Bible. We've got to move quickly to the Bible. Since this is church, that would be the best idea. And we're going to go to three individuals in the Bible, not three passages. We're going to look at more than that, but three individuals in the Bible, and we're asking the question, who am I? Now, we're not looking in the Bible so that we can just gain information. And we're not looking in the Bible like a mirror like this. I've been preaching now for 33 years. This is my last Sunday of my 33rd year preaching. And I can tell you a lot of people look in the Bible like this. The mirror of God's word, hoping their wife will see what's necessary for them to improve or hoping their husband will see what's necessary. That's the wrong way to look in the Bible. We're looking in the Bible like this face to face. And we're asking the question, who am I? And I propose that you, you, that, you that are seated here this morning, fall into one of these three categories. And your answer, your honest answer to the question will help you grow and go forward. Your dishonest answer is going to cause you to be stunted or inhibited or worse. So the, the, the really the onus lies upon you, the individual, to answer the question honestly, who am I? 
Number one, we're here at Lot. And Lot represents a carnal Christian. When I look at Lot's life, I have several responses I want to give them to you now. Genesis chapter 12 is where your Bibles are opened. I draw your attention to verse number 1. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Abram, get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 70 and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. Now, it's a bit of a journey to go from Haran, which is Ur the Chaldees, in that area all the way over and down to Canaan. There would be some enemies. There would be some struggles. This journey would be difficult. But Abraham was taking this journey, and it was the beginning of Abraham's faith journey. God said, go, he went. God said, pack, he packed. And he just made the journey, and he stepped out by faith. And in doing so, he became the father of faith. A few chapters later, Abraham is going to get saved in Genesis chapter 15. He started following God, and then later he got saved. The Bible says he believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. That's when a person gets saved, not before. And, and, and there's nothing that adds to that. Your works can't add to that. Your good deeds, your ritual, your tradition, your baptism, your christening, your confirmation, your catechism, that can't add to it at all. In fact, if you're trusting in those things, you're not saved. You're not going to heaven. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And so Abraham gets saved. And so when I first look at Lot's life, Lot, who is the nephew of Abraham, when I first look at his life, I say, wow, what a chance. What a chance, Lot, to follow your uncle. Your dad has died. Now you can follow your uncle on this journey of faith and begin this life of faith with him. What a chance. What an opportunity you have. Lot, you're going to be able to sit on the cutting edge, on the beginning stages, to see the struggles, the highs, the lows, the ups, the downs, the good choices, the bad choices. And you're going to be able to see Abraham work through that and God's loving hand help him along the way. When I first look at Lot's life, I say, what a chance. Some of you here right now are right there. Some of you are first generation Christians like Abraham was. And some of you are like Lot, your, your kin, your family, and you're watching as your mom or your dad or your uncle or your aunt or your brother or your sister or your, your grandparents start on this road of faith. And it's exciting and what a chance. You get to see what God is doing here at Platte Valley and you get to see how God is working here in amazing ways. What a chance you have. Don't blow that chance. Don't walk away from that. Don't walk over to the toilet and dump it in and flush it down the toilet. This is a great chance to be a part of this and to watch God work in amazing ways. But the second response I see when I look at, at Lot's life is, is not so glamorous. And that brings me to really the, the next chapter, Genesis chapter 13. Notice please Genesis chapter 13 and verse number 10. Genesis 13 and verse number 10. The Bible says that there was a strife. You can read it earlier in the chapter sometime. It says that there was a strife between Lot's herdmen and Abraham's herdmen. Both of them had cattle. Both of them had sheep. That was a, a sign of wealth. They were, they were wealthy, successful men. Likely Lot learned a good bit from his uncle Abraham and his business acumen. And, and so in that, there was, there was a, a great opportunity. And, and yet there was, there was so many that the land couldn't bear both of them. So they had to divide the land. They had to figure out, okay, what's the best way to go about this? And, and, and it wasn't Lot who tried to look for a solution. It was Abraham who tried to look for a solution. You see, Lot represents the carnal Christian. And it's likely there are some in this room who are carnal Christians. That means living according to the flesh, living according to their own desires, living according to the moment, living according to the temporary, not living according to eternal things, not living according to what, how this is going to affect things in the future, just living for the here and now. 
just living for what is seen and something that can be touched and handled, just living for your bank account, just living for that, not living for eternity, not living by faith. Lot, Lot here represents that. And Lot, when I first see him, I say, what a chance. Oh, Lot, you're right there on the cutting edge, right on the cusp of things. But then I see Lot and I say, what a choice. You see, as a result of this strife between Lot's herdmen and Abraham's herdmen, uh, Lot, Lot let's, let the strife continue. By the way, carnal Christians do let strife continue. They don't look for solutions. They're not looking for unity. They're not looking for harmony amongst God's people and in the home and in the church. They're glad for strife to continue. In fact, a lot of times they stir it up. They like the strife. It gives them an excuse to get out of Dodge. And that was the case with, with Lot. In verse number 10 of chapter 13, Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord judged or destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Uh, let me say something. What the world has to offer looks good. I mean, doesn't it? If it didn't look good, we wouldn't be interested in it. And the world doesn't offer us a dump, a shack. No, it offers us, the, it offers us so much. You can get off the plane at, in Las Vegas, and every sensation that can be tantalized is tantalized. I mean, it looks the glitz and the glamour. That's the way the devil always works. He shows you the glitz and glamour of sin. He offers you the pleasures that are there for a season. He, they, don't, they don't show you the skid row when you get off the plane in Salt Lake City. They don't show you the people that, that gamble so much they just they, they get dehydrated and the EMS crowd has to come and help them. They don't show you the older people that have gambled away their retirement and left nothing for their children. They don't show you the people, like a friend of mine talked about, who, has, who, who just go get one 32-ounce drink after another. And when the EMS comes literally in a shameful and a despicable way, they've lost their dignity and soiled themselves because they can't pull themselves away from the slot machine. No, no, Salt Lake City doesn't advertise that, and, 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 or Las Vegas, Nevada, whatever the city is. They don't advertise that. No, no, they advertise all the glitz and glamour. Same with the booze crowd. Same with the booze crowd. Well, the, the booze crowd doesn't advertise, they don't advertise the wife beaters. They don't advertise the abused children. They don't advertise the fact that the, the family sometimes doesn't even have food on the table, and the wife has to go out and moonlight as well as raise her children just to get bread for the, for the hungry brood. No, 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 no. They just advertise the glitz and the glamour. Yeah. And so does this wicked crowd that's pushing their agenda today. They advertise all the glitz and the glamour and all the, all, all the, the, the happy faces. They don't advertise the high rate of suicide. So you know what Abraham did? Abraham said, Lot, you choose the north, the south, the east, the west, whatever you choose, I'll take the leftovers. Wow, that's a good attitude. Did Lot choose uh, and say something uh, that was more spiritual? No. It says in Genesis chapter 13 and verse number 11, Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abraham, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. You know, just choosing your address you wouldn't think would be a spiritual decision, but this was a spiritual decision, an unspiritual decision. I want to say, when you make your decision, sir, based solely upon the bottom line instead of first and foremost what God thinks, you're carnal. You move to another city without thinking, how is this going to affect my family? Is there a church there? And, and what am I going to do as far as worship? And you don't think about the spiritual and you just go off and do it? That You're carnal. You're carnal. Don't tell me how much you love Jesus and don't tell me how, how much you're singing the songs of Zion when you make decisions based first and foremost on the bottom line. That's carnal. He pitched his tent toward Sodom. In verse number 14, it says, But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Then, then I look at Lot's life and I say, Wow, what a, what a choice. What did you do there, Lot? Then I look at his life and I say, What correction. Look at Genesis 14, 11 and 12. We're just going quickly. Just quickly. You can read and fill in the gaps later. Verse 11. It says in verse number 8, 9, 10, that there were a, there were a, a group, there was a group of kings and they came and they invaded Sodom and Gomorrah, now where Lot's living. 
It says in verse 11, they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. In other words, Lot is the victim of kidnapping. You didn't know kidnapping was in the Bible. Well, there it is right there in black and white. And what do you have? You have Lot. Lot's family is completely jeopardized because of Lot's foolish decisions. Lot was a carnal Christian. And how is he living? For the world, for himself, for the moment, for the temporary, for the fleshly, for the seen. And what happens? He gets kidnapped. Abraham, his uncle, hears about it, gets 317 of his trained servants and goes and rescues him. I wonder what that conversation was like on the way back to the house. You know, Lot, I've been concerned about you lately. I haven't seen you in church. You used to come every Thursday. Then after a while, it was just Sunday morning. Then after a while, it was just once a month. I'm just concerned about you. Oh, it'll be all right. Uncle Abe, thanks for rescuing me, but I, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, but I'm concerned about your family. You're having family devotions. How about you personally? Are you reading your Bible? Have you set up any altars lately, Lot? Have you made any sacrifices? You know, God calls us to be salt and light. That means we're supposed to be different than the world, not like the world. I'm a little concerned about you, Lot. Oh, Uncle, you don't have to be any concerned about me. I'm, I'm doing fine financially. Well, you probably are going to have to take a hit with this whole mess with the kings coming in and invading your home. Yeah, but I'll build back. Well, you ought to think about getting back in church. You ought, you ought to think about serving God again. No, no, no. Did, did, did Lot change his location? No. Did he change his testimony? No. He went right back to the same address and he went right back to the same lifestyle. What correction? You know, I believe Genesis 14 is God chastening his own, but no. Look to Genesis chapter 19 now. Genesis chapter 19. No, Lot didn't respond to the correction. No, Lot didn't rejoice in it. Lot didn't bear it patiently. Lot didn't let it propel him back to Jesus. No, 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 Lot's a carnal Christian. He's just living for self, living for moment, living for the moment, living for what's seen. It says in verse number four that there came, the first few verses tell us that there came two angels to Sodom at even. And you know where Lot is? sitting in the gate of Sodom. That means he either had or he wanted a position of leadership. So here we have Lot, and he's sitting in the gate of Sodom, and he sees these angels, and he recognizes that they're heavenly guests. So the angels come to his house, and they said, uh, he said, can you come into my house? You need to stay in my house. They said, no, we'll abide in the street. We don't want to be presumptuous. They said, he said, no, 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 this isn't a safe neighborhood. You need, you need to come into my house. He, they said, no, we'll abide in the street. So he got him inside the house and convinced them, put out a big, big, big feast of unleavened bread, crackers. That's the best he could do. And he gives them crackers to eat and gives them some unleavened bread. And, uh, and, and okay, maybe it was a tortilla. I don't know. But it, anyway, it wasn't much. And, and he gives it out for them, and he, they... They're, before they go to bed, all of a sudden the men of the city surround Lot's house and they pound on the doors and says, bring them out that we may know them. They didn't want to go to Starbucks. You understand this was filthy and wicked and perverted. And by the way, sodomy hasn't changed. You just look at Matt Walsh's Instagram page and you'll see a chorus of sodomites singing this song, we're coming for your children. Just look it up the last two weeks. Sodomites haven't changed. And, and so the, the men, angels, they say, you better get your family and get out of Dodge. Judgment's coming. And, and Lot argues with them. You know, that's what a carnal Christian will do. Argue with the preacher. Argue with the evangelist. Argue with the pastors. A pain in his side. He won't buy him a Milky Way to stock the refrigerator out there. Buy, somebody get the preacher some Milky Way bars. Anyway, uh, he won't do that. Uh, three musketeers, I'm sorry, three musketeers. He won't do that. No, no, argue with him, fuss at him, criticize 50 different ways from Sunday. I like what B.R. Lakin said. He said, I don't, I don't mind being swallowed by a whale. He says, getting nibbled on by all these minnows that bother me. And that's what criticism does. 
It's death by a thousand cuts. Now, it doesn't mean the preacher's always right, and I don't think any good preacher thinks he's always right. But criticize this and criticize that, criticize the other thing. Never win a soul to Christ. Never bring someone to church. Never get excited about someone getting baptized. Always got to find fault with something that's going on at the church. You mark it down, that person that's finding fault is a carnal person, a carnal Christian. And here you've got Lot always arguing with these angels. The angel said, you better go. Finally, Lot realizes they're not playing games. So he goes out and he finds his three married daughters and tries to plead with them to get out of the city that judgment's coming. And then you know what they do? They laugh at him. They laugh at him. It's a joke. Like, Dad, you never talked about this before. What's the problem? And, and so he goes back and, and, and he's still arguing with the angel. Literally, one angel has to grab Lot's hand and Lot's wife's hand and grab them and drag them out and literally has to grab the remaining daughter that were daughters that were home and drag them out but not before you know what lot said to the sodomites when they said bring these men out that we may know them he bartered with them look at genesis chapter 14 19 verse 4 but before they lay down the men of the city even the men of sodom compassed the house round both old and young all the people from every corner and they called unto lot and said unto him where are the men which came into thee this night bring them out unto us that we may know them and Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. What? When I look at Lot's life now, by this point, I say, what how could he be willing to sacrifice his two virgin daughters to perverts? He said, and I quote, do ye unto them as is good in your eyes. Well, what could be good in their eyes? Not much. Apparently, he was glad to take them to the library drag show. Apparently, it didn't bother her. And by the way, I don't know what everybody's all stirred up about with these library drag shows. Some of you have been letting your kids watch whatever they want on Netflix. What difference is it? I don't see what everybody's all stirred up about, about watching the drag shows. Some of you have been going to Hollywood movies and watching R-rated, X-rated, or worse. What difference does it make? What difference? Now you're going to come with some moral high ground? Some moral, that's just carnality. And the truth is, we all need to repent of our carnality instead of trying to justify our carnality. Some, some, somebody... Amen, preacher. You're getting quiet in here. You see what I'm saying? Watch here. Watch. What corruption. And yet Lot wasn't put in the Bible for me to look and scold him and fuss at him. Lot was put in the Bible for me to see me. The Bible doesn't tell the story just in Genesis 19. Quickly, I want you to turn with me to the book of 2 Peter, chapter number 3. 2, 2 Peter, chapter 2. That's almost to the end of the book. You'll find 2 Peter right before the book of Revelation. 2 Peter, chapter 2. He's speaking about judgment, and he's speaking about how God delivers his own from judgment. He spared not the angels that sinned in verse 4. Verse 5, he spared not the old world, but he spared... Noah, in verse 6, it says, 2 Peter 2, 6, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. And delivered, look at it, verse 7, just Lot. By the way, the corruption didn't end with him willing to give his two virgin daughters. He had no witness to keep his, to get his other kids out. He had no ability to keep his wife from turning back and her desire for Sodom. And then when his two daughters got him up into a mountain in a cave, they probably thought like this. Well, daddy didn't care if we were messed with by perverts all night long. So they probably, he probably doesn't care if we mess with him. So they got him drunk two nights in a row and both of them got pregnant two nights in a row by their own dad. What corruption. Watch now. Genesis chapter or second Peter chapter two says God spared. He didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse number seven. But he delivered just Lot. Now, it doesn't mean only Lot, like we use the word just sometimes. It means justified Lot. Because Lot wasn't the only one that got out. Lot and his wife, at least for a little while, got out. And Lot and his two daughters got out. 
So it wasn't just only lies. It means justified lies. So the, the next response I have when I look at Lot's life is, what? Conversion? Who knew the guy was saved? Who knew until we get all the way? I have to climb past all the poetical books and the historical books and all the major prophets and the minor prophets and swim all the way past the Gospels and Acts and the Book of Romans and all the Pauline epistles to get almost to the end of the Bible before I read a testimony to Lot's salvation. Who knew? Who knew that he was saved? You say, well, preacher, was he saved? Yes, the Bible calls him just. God doesn't call a person just unless they were saved. And then, if that weren't enough, look at the next verse. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 8. For that righteous man dwelling among them. What? He's called righteous? He's called just? You say, what's your point? My point is, is that no one should look at Dwight Smith's life and have a question mark over his salvation. No one should look by my choices, by my actions, by my associations, by my language, by my jokes, by the way I treat my spouse, by the way I raise my children, by the way I stand, by the way I come or don't come to church, by the way I do my business. Nobody should look at my life and have a question mark over my salvation. There should be an exclamation point over my salvation. Is there an exclamation point over your salvation? We're asking this question for all of us. Who am I? Are you a carnal Christian? And then it says in verse number eight, it says, he vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds in seeing and hearing. What? Who knew? A conscience? A conscience? Who knew that Lot had a conscience? Who knew after he's there in, in no, look here, let, let me say something. Nobody wants to associate with Lot in the cave. And I hope nobody here is doing what Lot did in the cave. But he was drinking. Maybe you haven't gone to the depths of he, that he went to in the cave, but you've got beer in the, in the refrigerator. Well, what difference is that? Nobody wants to associate with Lot and the fact that he can't influence his remaining three daughters and sons-in-law. Nobody wants to associate with Lot. But, but you know, Lot, Lot is a carnal Christian. Not good. Not good. Not good. Who am I? Am I a carnal Christian? Wow. Well, let's quickly go back to our game so that we, we can kind of lighten the mood because it's getting kind of heavy here. All right, we're still in the Bible now. We're still in the Bible. Who am I? I am the CEFO of my particular think tank. I lived in Israel during Jesus' day. I was very respected among my peers. I preached and I cast out demons. And I was one of the 12 disciples. Judith. You hear, did you hear who it was? Was it a lady? I think it was a lady over here. Ladies. Right here. Okay, very good, very good. Okay, so it's ladies. Ladies have three. Men have two. All right, right? Is that right? Okay, all right, so it's Judas. Take your Bible quickly and turn quickly. I want to just go quickly over these next couple to, to ask the question and really examine our hearts in light of God's word. Matthew chapter 10 is where we're going. Matthew chapter 10. So back just a few books in Matthew, and you'll find Matthew chapter 10. And this describes Judas Iscariot. I have a few thoughts when I look at Judas Iscariot's life. Matthew chapter 10, notice what the Bible says in verse 2. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first, Simon, which, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus, and Levius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. The first thing that I look at Judas's life is the first way I respond is this. What a thought. What a thought. To be there with Jesus. You know, Judas knew more about the physical person of Jesus than anyone in this room. I, I, I always wonder, what, what did Jesus, what, what, is, what did his voice sound like? It had to be a tenor. I just think that it had to be a tenor. I wonder how tall he was. How tall was Jesus? He had to be probably this tall. I wonder, we don't know, but Judas knew. Judas could tell you the rough characteristics, physical characteristics of Jesus. Judas was there when he was selected. The first verse of this chapter, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is sending out the 70, and they're going to preach, and they're going to cast out demons, and they're going to perform miracles. What a thought. 
Judas got to see Jesus heal blind eyes, make lame legs walk, make deaf ears unstop. Jesus was, was the one that Judas saw when, when he broke the bread and distributed five loaves and two fishes to feed 5,000. Judas saw all of that. He was there. Judas doesn't represent the carnal Christian. Judas represents someone else. I want you to think who he represents. Watch this. Judas Iscariot had the opportunity of a lifetime. He had a front row seat. Now, I think that leadership is important. And I think that the phrase that everything rises and falls on leadership is, is somewhat true. But not in this case. Judas Iscariot had the perfect leader, the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, he was a no good follower. He knew how to dress up on the outside. He knew how to, to keep up with the nines. He knew how to, he, he knew how to not let uh, anything go as far as his outward and his external, but that was as far as his religion got. And by the way, that's very impressive. Very impressive. A lot of people are very impressed by religion. In fact, millions and billions of people are impressed by religion. That is, only gets to the external, it never gets to the heart. God's not impressed with that. God is looking straight at your heart this morning. He's looking at what you have done with Jesus this morning. And Judas, though he was a follower of Jesus, though he was a preacher, though he cast out demons, though he did miracles, though he was a respected treasurer amongst his peers, Judas Iscariot was lost. Judas Iscariot represents the lost man. Maybe there's someone here or someone listening who's a lost man this morning, a lost woman. You're good at keeping up appearances. Good at, at making things look good on the outside. Good at putting your best foot forward. Good at keeping up a reputation. By the way, a reputation is important, but your character is more important. A reputation is what people think of you. Character is what you are. A, a reputation is, uh, uh, your testimony is important, but that's after you get saved. Do you even have a testimony? Can you tell me when you got saved? Can you tell me that you are saved? When you put your head on your pillow at night, do you have the perfect peace that if you died in the night, you'd go to heaven and not hell? Can you tell me when you were forgiven? Can you tell me the moment that you were born again? I'm not asking if you remember the exact date. For years, I thought I got saved in the fall. Then I found a letter from my church that said I got baptized in the spring. And I know I got baptized just a few weeks after I got saved. So, well, that threw my thing off. But, but I remember the moment. I remember the spot. I can take you, I can take you to the place where I got saved. I mean, that was a big thing when all my sins were lifted off my shoulders, past, present, and future. When Jesus canceled my sin debt, when he closed the gates of hell and opened the gates of heaven, when he gave me eternal and abundant life. I can tell you about when I got saved. Can you tell me about when you got saved? I mean, do you know that you're saved? Do you know that you're going to heaven? That's why we have this church. That's why we have Quam. That's why we have the wrestling team. That's why, that's why we try to get out gospel tracts, because we want to get people saved. And the only thing that matters when you die will be if you've been saved. If you haven't been saved, it's not going to matter how much riches, how many riches you had, how, many, how much education you had, how many people you influenced for whatever, how many followers you had on Instagram. It's not going to matter if you die and you go to hell. None of that's going to matter. Have you been saved? Judas had never been saved. And yet, boy, he was good at looking good. He was good at keeping up religious appearances. Uh, I, I want you to think about this. Not only do I look at him and say, what a thought, but number two, I look at him and say, what a thief. John chapter 14, verses 4 through 6, Jesus said, whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, how can we know the way? Whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto them, unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Judas Iscariot was there. He heard that testimony. He heard the testimony in Matthew chapter 12 when Jesus said, Whom do ye say that I, the Son of Man, am? And he was there when Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was there. He was there when, when some trusted Christ. He was there when the blind man believed on him. He was there when the leper came and trusted in him. He was there to see many, many people believe on Jesus Christ. And yet Judas Iscariot himself was lost. He was hell bound. He was unsaved. Why? Because he had never made the decision that's the most important decision anybody can make. And that's to believe on Jesus Christ. What a truth that he was presented with. But then I say, what a thief. 
If you study your Bible in John chapter 12, you can find what the Bible says in John chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. John chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. Look at what the Bible says. In John 12, 4 through 6, the scripture says that there was a woman that brought a, a box of alabaster ointment and and broke it and and poured it on jesus head and his feet and anointed his feet and and wiped his feet with her hair judas didn't like that it says then saith one of his disciples judas iscariot by the way he got everybody else to agree with him simon's son which should betray him why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor this he said not that he cared for the poor but because he was a thief and bear, have the bag, and bear what was put therein. What? A disciple of Jesus, a thief? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. A thief. A good-for-nothing thief. I was preaching for a friend in Alabama years ago, and he's sitting around talking to me about something that's going on. There was a lady in the church who happened to be the treasurer's daughter-in-law who was stealing from people in the church during church. Stealing grocery money out of her sister-in-law's diaper bag. Stealing money from the preacher's daughter. Now, I want to tell you something. An evangelist can only handle so much before his gift kicks in. I left that dinner that night, and the Lord said, you're preaching on a thief. I said, well, Lord, I don't have a message on a thief. He said, you have exactly 45 minutes to get one. So I did. I stood before that congregation, and I preached. And I said, men, grab your wallets. Women, grab your purses. Parents, grab your children. There is a thief in this crowd, and I'm going to name them tonight. Her face went flush red. She knew I called her out. Now, I named the devil, so she didn't know I was going to do that. But boy, I called her out. And then when the invitation time came, she just came and visited the altar and went back and prayed like nothing was wrong. Made me so mad, I had everybody sit down at the end of the invitation, preached a whole other message, and gave another invitation. I was so mad at the devil that night. Thieves in church, can you imagine? Thieves in church. Some people are thieves because they robbed God. Some people are thieves because they robbed from their parents. Some people are thieves because they robbed from their children and robbed from their spouse. Some people are thieves because they rob they, they robbed God. What a tragedy that there would be thieves. But here you have him. There is your champion, Mr. Thief, Judas Iscariot. And not only do I think what a thief, but then I think what a traitor. Look at John chapter, Matthew chapter 26. Quickly, Matthew chapter 26. Our time is fleeting and we're almost done. Matthew chapter 26. The Bible says in verse 14, then one of the 12, this is right after Judas was turned away by Jesus and was not accepted when he made those negative comments about Mary's gift. Then one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priests and said unto them, what will you give me and I will deliver him unto you? And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. By the way, do you know how much it was for Mary, a woman, to give to Jesus a broken box of alabaster ointment? Do you know how much that was? 300 denarii. An average man or soldier's working yearly wage, 300 denarii. Do you know how much 30 pieces of silver is? Two months' salary. In other words, she was willing to give Jesus a whole year's wage that she had saved up, and he was willing to sell Jesus out for just two months' salary. What a, what a traitor. What a traitor. And you know what I say most of all? Look at Matthew 27. Matthew 27, verse 3. Then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, this is the Pharisees, what is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. You know what I say when I look at Judas Iscariot's life? What a tragedy. What a tragedy that someone would come so close to the truth and still die and go to hell. In fact, Jesus was there in the garden when Judas kissed him. Judas kissed the door to heaven and stepped straight into hell. What a tragedy. It would be a tragedy if anybody here was not saved. Now, I want to stop for just a moment before we move to our final contestant, and I want to ask you this question. What is the solution for Lot? If there is a Lot in this congregation, 
more or less from Genesis chapter 13 to Genesis chapter 19. What is the solution for Lot? Is it for Lot to get saved again? Is that the solution? Yes or no? Does Lot need to get saved again? Yes or no? No, it's impossible theologically to get saved again. His solution is not to come pray a sinner's prayer. You know what Lot's solution is? To get right with God. To come before the Lord and ask the Lord to forgive him for his carnality and his short-sightedness and for living for the moment and for skipping out on church and for putting the things that are spiritual on the back burner and everything else on the front burner. Lot's solution is to get right with God. And if you're the carnal Christian this morning, that's your solution before you lose everything, including your family and everything else. What's the solution for Judas? Judas is an unsaved man. And what makes an unsaved man an unsaved man? His decision to not believe on Jesus Christ. To not repent and believe. You see, repentance and belief is a decision, but so is unrepentance and unbelief. And unrepentance and unbelief, you say, well, I haven't made a decision. Well, no decision is a no decision. No, a no vote, no vote is a no vote. And you remember, you're voting for yourself. God has voted against you. The devil is, God has voted for you. The devil has voted against you. You cast the deciding vote. All right, here we are at our, this is the tiebreaker right here. This is worth two points. Tiebreaker, no, three. Three points, three points, three points. All right, so far the ladies are winning. Ladies, here we go. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a church planner. There we go. Men get it. What's your name? Benjamin, all right, Benjamin, he got it right. He kind of had a running start on that one. Okay, all right, very good. The Apostle Paul, you're right. I had a whole bunch of other facts. Boy, you guys, you guys are just on it today. Okay. All right, turn quickly to Acts 7, and we're through. Acts 7. This was Paul, formerly Saul, not King Saul. This is Saul of the, Old Te- of the New Testament, Saul who became Paul. When I look at Saul, who became Paul, when I look at his life, the first response I have is, what a bum. I mean, don't you? Look at Acts 7 and verse 58. It says that they grabbed Stephen and cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. That means he's persecuting Christians. Look at Acts 8. And Saul, Acts 8 and verse 1, Saul was consenting unto his, that is Stephen's death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they all were scattered abroad throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. What a bum. That in the name of religion and the name of morality, listen carefully, he's killing people. There are people that are doing that all over. Yes, he's killing Christians. What a bum. What a bum. In the name of God, doing something evil. What a bum. But the second response I have is this. What a birth. Look at Acts chapter 9. Acts 9 says in verse 1, And following Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that it be found any of this way, that is the way of Christ, the way of salvation, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Verse number 3 says, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul. Why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. That's the pricks of conviction. Now, he didn't get saved in verse 4 when he said, Who art thou, Lord? Verse 5. But he did get saved in verse 6. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That's when Saul became saved. He got saved, so I say, what a birth. What a birth! Saw a light out of heaven, and he got saved. By the way, this wasn't just any light, and it wasn't the light at the end of the tunnel. It was salvation. He got saved. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. You know the last response I have? When I look at Saul of Tarsus' life, who became Paul the apostle? What a blessing. What a blessing. Now listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Every person in this room, young or old, has a past. 
has things they're ashamed of, has things they hope nobody ever finds out about. Put the past in the past and bury it. You can learn from it. You can grow from it, but you shouldn't live with it. And if you're saved, you can do that. Now, if you're not saved, you can't put it in the past. You've got to get saved first. You've got to believe on Christ. You've got to accept his gift of salvation. You've got to call upon the name of the Lord like Saul of Tarsus did. But you know what happened when he did? He tore off his rearview mirror. And he never looked past, never looked back. Now, he would recount how God had saved him. He would count how he was blasphemous and injurious. He would recount how God showed him mercy, but he moved forward. He's later, his name would be changed to Paul. Right away, he'd start preaching. Right away, he'd start witnessing. Later, his name would be changed to Paul. He'd become a preacher and an apostle. He'd spend three and a half years with Jesus in the Arabian desert, just him and Jesus in a personal discipleship. My, that must have been wonderful. Then he went out as an apostle and he preached and planted churches and, and, and stood for Christ and stood for God. What a blessing. And so he comes to the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. He says, I'm now ready to be offered. He's writing this from prison. And the time of my departure is at hand. He's soon to be beheaded. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. What a blessing. Now, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me carefully. What is the solution for Paul? In other words, what should Paul do? Or anybody like him, what should Paul do? Keep going forward. Keep honoring God. Keep looking forward instead of behind. Keep being a blessing. You see, Paul represents the saved and sold out Christian. And that's what every one of us here should be aiming for. If you're a carnal Christian like Lot, repent, get right with God, and do it today. If you're not saved and you've not made the choice to believe on Jesus as your only Savior, like Judas Iscariot, trust in Jesus before the tragedy hits your life and you spend a countless eternity in hell. Come to Jesus today. But if you're trying to be like Paul and raise your family to love Jesus and read the Bible and, and, and confess your sin when you've done wrong and get back up on your feet and move forward and get back on the track and live for the Lord, continue on. Stand for Christ so that you can come to the end of your life, whether that's tomorrow or whether that's 40 years from now, and say, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. And people around you can point at your life and say, what a blessing. Who am I? Ask the question, are you a lot, a carnal Christian? If so, get right. Are you Judas Iscariot, unsaved, unbelieving, unrepentant sinner? Or are you Paul, a saved, sold out Christian? Would you bow with me in prayer? Thank you for your attention to the Bible this morning and your patience. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want to ask you just a few questions before we leave. Shortly, we're going to be done. Shortly, we're going to leave. How many here today would say, Brother Smith, I know for a fact that I'm going to heaven when I die. There's no doubt whatsoever I've been saved. But you say, Preacher, God has convicted my heart about some area of carnality, some area of fleshliness, some area where I'm living for the moment or the fleshly moments of today instead of for eternity, and that which is spiritual. If God's spoken to you about that, you say, Preacher, would you pray for me? Would you just slip up your hand right now and let me pray for you? God bless you. Okay, good. Thank, thank the Lord. Thank you for your honesty and your humility. And now I want to urge you, don't wait until this pianist starts playing a few verses of only trust him. Don't wait till then. Just you, you get right. If you need to pray right there in your seat, you get right. When the invitation begins, you come. In fact, you can come right now if that's you. Question number two. How many of you would say, Brother Smith, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I know I'm saved. If I died today, I know that I'd go to heaven. If I died five years from now, I know that I'd go to heaven. I'm absolutely sure of it. I can tell you about when I got saved and the, the moment that Jesus washed my sin away. I know it. If you don't know that, don't raise your hand. But if you do, as a testimony to God and man, would you lift your hand up high? Just slip it up high. Preacher, I know that I'm saved. If I died today, I know that I'd go to heaven. Thank you, Nicholas, for hands down. Now, I don't know everybody here. I've preached several times in this pulpit. But maybe you're here and you say, preacher, I don't know. I couldn't raise my hand. I'm not sure if I died today that I'd go to heaven, but I sure want to be. 
If that's you, would you just lift your hand right now? I'll see it in a moment. I'll remember you in prayer. Is there anyone? Just flip it up. All right, thank you. Is there anyone else? Just flip it up. Flip it up high so I can see it. God bless you. I see that in the back. Anyone else? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm watching and the pastor's watching. No one else. God's speaking to your heart, and this is the time to do business with him. Anyone else along with these two? Just slip up your hand. Put it right back down. Preacher, pray for me. I, I, I don't know for sure that I'm going to heaven, but I need to know. I sure want to know. Anyone else along with these? Slip up your hand. Put it right back down. Okay. Anyone else along with these three? Preacher, would you pray for me? Preacher, would you pray for me? Anyone else? All right, if you just raised your hand, now heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm the only one looking right now. If you just raised your hand and said, Preacher, I don't know that I'm saved, but I'd sure like to know. Would you just lift your eyes and look at me? Just, just lift your eyes and look at me. Did you mean that in the back? How about you? Did you mean that over here? All right, you can know right now. You can know that you're going to heaven. This is what the Bible says is necessary to know that you're going to heaven. A, you must admit that you're a sinner. That means you're acknowledging your guilt before a holy God. And that's not hard to be honest for a humble person to do. B, you need to believe on Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection as the only payment for your sins. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That choice closes the gates of hell. You must sincerely call upon the Lord and believe on the Lord. Then C, A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner and acknowledge your guilt. B, believe on Jesus and his death and resurrection. And C, call upon him to save you. And when you believe in your heart that he died and rose again, and you with your mouth call upon him to save you, instantly he saves you. And this is the truth. He'll do it right there, right where you sit, right now, if you'll sincerely call upon him. He's ready to save you. He wants to save you. And he's the only one that can. If you want to be saved right there where you sit, I just would like to invite you to bow your head and pray something like this to the Lord. You can pray right now if you'd like. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I've broken your law and I don't deserve your love. But I know that you died for me. And right now, I'm trusting in your payment alone as necessary and sufficient to wash my sins. Right now, I believe you rose again and proved you're God. And I want to invite you to come into my heart and save me in Jesus' name. Now, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you just prayed that sincerely and meant it in your heart, would you just lift your hand up right now? God bless you. Praise the Lord. Okay, okay. Anybody else along with these? God bless you. All right, praise the Lord. Now, if you prayed and, and you leave here and you don't let anybody, you don't let the pastor know, you don't let anybody know, the devil's going to get in and try to sow doubt. But if you just called upon the name of the Lord, he saved you. He promised that he would, and he doesn't break his promise. I want to encourage you when we stand to come take pastor by the hand. After we leave, take pastor by the hand. Say, pastor, I got saved. I want you to know, come take me by the hand. We'll be around here. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Everyone stand. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of it. Bless this invitation in Jesus' name. We're singing only trust him as we sing. You come right now. Come as we stroll by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord. And he was sure. Trusting in his word, only trust him, only trust him, only trust him. He will save you. Amen. What a challenge today. I just want to finish well. And uh, it's a challenge today. And for those of you who have questions, you can call me. I'll be happy to talk to you. You know, I think uh, sometimes, you know, when we hear a hard message like this, and it's a real challenge to us, is that it makes you start questioning some things about your faith. And can I tell you something? God's mercy and God's grace 
is always bigger than our sin. And if you have done business with God and you've opened your heart at some point in time and trusted him as your savior, from that moment in time, your, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life in indelible ink. And it will never be d- taken away and never be blotted out where your name is written. And so rest in that. If you're not sure, don't walk out of here unsure. Make sure that you know Christ is your Savior. And then just make sure that you're on the side of things like Paul. And let's, uh, let's just give him our lives. There's nothing better. Nothing better than just living for him. You know, I asked a lady the other day at Grover's, and I'll end with this, but um, maybe I took it wrong, but uh, we were getting ready to ask the Lord's uh, blessing on our lunch, and I said, do you have anything you'd like for us to pray with you about? She said, yeah. She said, I'd just like to have peace. You know, I think there's a lot of people that don't have that peace, and can I tell you, Jesus is the only one that'll ever give you that peace. And so we just thank the Lord for our Savior. And if you don't know him, then don't leave here without knowing for certain. And if you do, let's just live for him and have his peace in our lives. God bless today in this message. We uh, love you, Brother Dwight, and uh, love the Word of God. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for today. Pray that you will continue to stir in our hearts through the message today. Bless Brother Drew as he preaches tonight. And Lord, we look forward to hearing from you again tonight. And bless this day in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.